In this week's Leeds Business Podcast, we speak to Richard Flint, the man who built Skybet into one of the city's biggest tech companies. Richard explains how Skybet's wrong decision to focus on interactive TV in the early days actually ended up making the move into mobile betting a speedier success, as well as the importance of integrating Skybet's products into Sky TV and the multiple reasons why Sky PLC eventually sold 80% of Skybet. Richard also talks us through how you build company culture as well as the various stages that a business owner has to go through and how to manage those changes. He also gives us his secret tip for those looking to source angel investment. To make sure you never miss an episode of the Leeds Business Podcast, sign up to our priority list at www.leedsbusinesspodcast.com. Everyone that signs up gets a free gift to help their business. So, let's get into the show. Okay, on today's Leeds Business Podcast, I have with me Richard Flint, who's best known for in effect, grown Leeds' biggest, arguably biggest tech company that we've ever seen. Hi, Richard. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Um, I won't go through the whole uh, bio because that's in the show notes below. But for our listeners, just give us a, a run through of, of your career, sort of from Flutter to, to the end of Sky. Um, yes. Yeah, so actually, I'll go back a tiny bit before Flutter. Um, so I am, um, yeah, you know, sort of come from a quite an academic family. Did well in studies. Um, studied in the US, came back, uh, it was sort of dot-com boom times. I went to a consultancy, McKinsey, for, for a little while. And then, um, you know, didn't really know, this is my early 20s, didn't really know what the sort of, where, what my future was going to be, where, where I'd focus. Um, ended up working in a small startup in East London called Flutter. Um, that was a, a person-to-person betting company launched around the same time as Betfair. So we would, uh, our model was people would offer uh, bets up and individuals would take it from the other side and we were going to change the world of betting uh didn't really happen but we we um we merged with betfair that had a different but you know related model um and um and maybe we'll come back to the, the name flutter in the future but um yeah then uh went to work at sky uh it was the launch of interactive tv services i was based in west london and around the same time as that, Sky bought a small uh, sports and uh, a very small betting company that were they were called it was called the Sports Internet Group in uh, early two thousand, set up by um, Peter Wilkinson, who founded FreeServe, uh, who's a sort of uh, Harrogate tech uh, person. Um, and uh, so he he they, him and some of the other people like Jeremy Fenn and others that you might have heard of formed this uh, sports and betting and data services, it included Opta as well. And they uh, sold that to Sky for what seemed like a crazy amount of money in the dot-com boom times uh, in 2001. Um, and yeah, part of the value of that for Sky point of view was all the sort of club website deals that they had and data and streaming and potentially betting as well. Um, and um, I was sort of um, the guy at headquarters in Osterley down in West London uh, that was managing the relationship with this thing that we bought up in Yorkshire. Um, and uh, I enjoyed working with them, a, g- a good team. I enjoyed trips up to Harrogate. I was, I'm from Essex um, and li- we're living in West London there, but I enjoyed my trips up to Harrogate where the business was based. Um, but then I guess the sort of the balloon of the dot-com boom times popped a bit. Uh, we weren't hitting targets. Um, and a lot of the other assets uh, in that acquisition had been sold off or shut down. And um, I, after a couple of years, was uh, was sort of sent up to the north or encouraged to go to the north. We had a one-year-old then. 
um, I came to work for a, a great guy called uh, Nick Rust, um, uh, running, you know, being the sort of his number two in this uh, business up in Yorkshire that was primarily at that point a telephone betting business. Um, and then he, uh, you know, we were missing target. He got off on another good job. And I was sort of handed this thing um, up in uh, in Harrogate to sort of, um, and I thought I'd run it, you know, do my best on it for a couple of years and then go back down to London where my uh, family was and where my background was. Um, but actually, you know, it turned out, we we'll get into the depth of this as we go on, but it turned out to be a brilliant experience over the next, uh, well, sort of 15 years uh, running, running that business. Uh, and uh, we've stayed in Yorkshire since that point. So that's sort of, a bit of a background and how I ended up in Yorkshire and, uh, you know, how I was privileged enough to, to have that job for, for all that time and grow Skybet in first Harrogate and then Leeds. Fantastic. Would you, would you, I assume you'd consider Nick leaving and you getting the job as a, a major sliding doors moment in your career? Yes, uh, I think it was. And also, you know, being in before that, being, being prepared to move up and, you know, persuading my uh, wife and, uh, you know, to, to come up to, to Yorkshire and, um, and take that, that job when, when, you know, we, we left a lot of friends behind, particularly with a young baby, you know, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if you've got kids for, but when, you know, when it's quite a sort of group of people you do NCT classes with and uh, make good friends and I had friends and family down there. So leaving all that behind to come up and work in Yorkshire was a sort of the first sliding doors moment. And then, Nick leaving and being given the job of running the business was definitely a second one. Yeah, it's interesting actually. I remember you mentioned SIG in Harrogate. I think I went for a job interview up there once um, back in the day. And I do remember what you said about at the time the price that Sky paid. Everyone went, "Oh my god, that's ridiculous!" For this, it was it was loss making at the time, wasn't it? If I remember, yeah, it was, um, and it was. I mean, it was a lot of big companies were doing similar things, particularly sort of media companies around that time, you know, it was AOL and Time Warner and all, which came a bit later, you know, all sorts of crazy, uh, you know, amounts that were spent, but as we'll come on to talk about, you know, Sky, Sky got its money back and then, and more, uh, eventually. Sure. So how did you, how did you go about growing this loss making business? What was, you know, how did you, how did you attack it? Sure. Um, well, so I, w- I joined when I joined Nick's uh, team. Um, there were the sort of seven or eight people in his top team, and and myself being the sort of the one from Sky coming up, and they were all from a sort of traditional betting industry background. Um, and when he left, you know, I, I took over. And I, if truth be told, um, I didn't really know how to go about it, and I didn't do a very good job for a, for a couple of years. And uh, I was lucky to be um, to be given a chance to to improve over time. You know, that's another sort of sliding doors moment. I'm a, I'm an Arsenal fan, and um, you know, sort of Mikel Arteta could have got fired after his first three games, and uh, thank goodness he didn't. Um, and uh, that could have been my situation. So in the first few years, I really, you know, I liked all my colleagues, and I, but I thought, well, I've given this uh, sort of you know, chief executive job was managing director back then. We we were part of Sky in this period and we, we stayed that way for quite a long time. And I thought my um my job as sort of now the leader and, you know, I thought of myself as a pretty clever bloke. Uh, my job was then to be in as many important meetings as I can and making as many important decisions as I could. Uh, and, uh, you know, 
work with the team that I had uh, and, you know, the culture I had, but just make the right decisions. And that wasn't a successful approach. Um, People didn't really like me getting involved in all these things that were their jobs. Uh, They didn't really, you know, they didn't sort of follow my lead on things. And that was, you know, my fault really for not spending time getting people bought in. I was a sort of, you know, I was a manager who was all over the details. I was, there was no lead. I wasn't a leader and I didn't change the team or the culture. And it was just the sort of sticking plaster approach where I'd try and make some different decisions, but the whole organization wasn't changing on the, on the back of that. So I had a tricky couple of years where the performance didn't improve. Um, and then a combination of having a good mentor in Sky, a guy called David Rowe, who had founded uh, Easy Net. Um, and, Go, you know, having a coach who uh, who's a guy um, uh, Nick who Nick Cowley who's uh, based in Harrogate, um, who I still see from time to time. Being on a sort of Sky leadership thing, reading a lot of stuff, uh, including uh, Good to Great, which I thought was which I thought was a very important book for me at the time. Um, through all of that process, I became much more focused on team first and foremost, and culture, and you know, leadership, being a leader rather than um, tinkering around in individual decisions. And that started us on a path uh, where we ended up, you know, it was a, it ended up being a great success um, and a brilliant experience. But there was definitely, um, I definitely had a couple of years where I wasn't doing a good job and there was a sort of a turning point after that. Well, not, not sort of one single moment, but a sort of process where I realised what the job of running something and changing something was all about. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's... We can talk about the second half in a moment, but that was a sort of the early years were a bit of a failure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, you raise a couple of interesting points there. Um, you know, what I'm doing now is I work as a business sounding board, which is sort of half mentor, half coach. And you know, you've put a lot of a lot of importance on on what they did for you. Do you think mentoring, coaching is something that we don't do enough of in in sort of entrepreneurial Britain? Yes, I think it certainly is. I think, um, you know, it can come in its different forms. You can have a person you've worked for who you learn from. You can have, uh, you know, family member that you can learn from. You can have out- people outside of work that you can learn from. You can have, you know, someone like yourself or that I had that were sort of formal coaches. Um, or you can read books that sort of comes to the same thing to a degree. There's lots of ways you can get that. But like like anyone, you, you know, it's a, it's a different skill, uh, you know, Running, you know, I I had a like I say an academic background. I never, I didn't have much management or leadership experience growing up, um, and you know, I think it's a skill that you can learn. You know, and some people are naturally better at it than others, but all of us can can improve at it. And I, I definitely, you know, felt that initially in the job, I sort of had, you know, you don't really have, you're not really taught it. And so, whatever you can find as a as a as a leader, a manager to get those skills, I think it's really important. So, yeah, it sounds like the work you're doing um, and and other people do is 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 really helpful for it was really helpful for me and really helpful for any other uh, young young leader in particular, but also yeah, people entering leadership, whatever stage in their life. I can I can definitely vouch for good to great. Um, a coach of mine introduced me to it. Um, and anybody that's listening, go out and read it. It's 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 quite old now. It's, it's 20, 30 years old. So some bits of it might seem outdated. Um, but 
our the coach that that we worked with, we ended up with our BHAG on the meeting room wall at all times. So it was a guiding yeah. light for everything we did. Brilliant book, and I've read it numerous occasions, and I recommend it to everybody. So if you're listening, Jim Collins, good to great, definitely worth doing. Um, so okay, so you've now developed from this um, fingers in lots of pies manager to a, a, a more of a stepping away manager from various reasons. How did that show itself in terms of the performance of the business? Like all these sort of things, it's a sort of jagged road. You know, there are some things, there are many things that we tried that didn't work. Um, and uh, there were people that we hired that didn't work. Um, but we've got enough right to start to, uh, you know, improve improve the performance of the business. And sort of, as well as the individual things that we tried, like we launching a TV channel that was a sort of um, Kino game that was a lot, you know, it's called Sky Vegas Live to, um, you know, we launched our own poker solution, which is still working, but, you know, wasn't a huge success. Um, to some of the other things we launched that went really well, like um, Super 6, which is, uh, uh, you know, still played by millions of people as a sort of prediction game on a on Soccer Saturday on a Saturday afternoon. Um, so we tried a lot of things over the, over the period, but the, yeah, we did enough right to start improving the performance. So, uh, you know, having a good website in the early days was was critically important, and then having a great mobile site was uh, a real thing that we majored on and, and and did really well on. Broadening out the range of products from just um, you know initially just telephone betting to launching casino games and bingo and poker online. Um, you know, doing the plat the channel shift that I that I talked about. But really, the whole the whole sort of bigger picture journey was one from a, um, a sort of old style betting company with people who came from a betting industry background that were very hierarchical, not very collaborative, not very tech focused, not very sort of marketing or product focused. What they were very good at is setting the right odds and managing the sort of higher spending customers uh, closely um, and building good relationships with them. But that we had to really move away from that. That wasn't really the, you know, Sky didn't buy the business to have a telephone uh, betting operation with 20 or so big customers. Sky bought the business really as, as it saw betting as something that uh, could add to its sports offering. And uh, obviously from a revenue point of view, but also from a sort of customer engagement point of view, you know, it was pretty clear as we're seeing in America now that, um, a lot of uh, people bet on sports um, to make them more exciting and more enjoyable if they've not got an interest because the team's not playing, etc. And there are other people who will watch sport because they've got a bet on it, um, that they'll be more engaged with that, you know, watch a golf game or something or or, uh, or horse racing because they've got a bet on it and they wouldn't otherwise do that. So the sort of, you know, the big picture vision for the company was one that was um, tied to, tied to the media business, tied to uh, initially interactive TV, but then to the Sky websites. Um, and we had to move that, we had to move the whole organization away from old style telephone betting to new style product marketing, uh, collaboration with other parts of Sky. And that, that was a big cultural change um, that, um, that we can, you know, we can talk about. We had to get different people, much a different attitude, much more, um, tech-oriented, customer-oriented, analytical, uh, tended to be younger. Um, and that that sort of that was a sort of six or seven-year journey from the you know, mid-2005-06 to 
2010, 11, 12, where we really started to build the right organization. And then we got all that in place for the subsequent, for the growth that we happened over that period, but then the subsequent acceleration and growth from that point. So that was that was a proactive thing from you and, and your fellow directors and leaders to move from being a betting company to a tech company or a tech slash media company. That was the, the shift you had to go through. Yes, I'd say that's right. And uh, whilst I was probably the catalyst to do it, we only what I realized is you had to get, you know, this is the thing in good to great, get the right people on the bus, first of all. So it wasn't like... Um, I sort of, you know, put my head in a cold towel and, uh, and uh, you know, sat down and worked out this whole strategy. It was more direction. I knew that was where, where we needed to go. And I recruited people that, um, that had the right attitude for that, that I could work with, uh, that, um, you know, some of them had good relationships with Sky and the right experience on the technology side. And then together, over time, we moved the culture and moved the whole business from, like you said, a betting company to a tech company that happened to do betting. Just going back to a couple of things you said, you know, uh, and this happens with everybody and everybody's businesses, you know, some of the some of the business decisions don't go well and some go right. And it's sometimes the ones you think are bankers that are going to go right, go wrong and, and the other way around. What would you say was the, the, the biggest one that went wrong and what did you learn from it? The, yeah, I think that it's, it's never quite sort of black and white or sort of right and wrong, but we we initially focused on interactive TV. Uh, like I don't know if you or many of your many of the listeners um, you know remember this, but Sky had a sort of thing where you could uh, you could press the red button to um, to buy a holiday. You know, and the, and the internet was in its relatively early days there, so right back in the early you know two thousand five six, there was a sort of debate whether as whether just whether you know, interactive TV would be a huge thing where people did their shopping and banking and betting and bought their holidays on TV or whether, you know, laptops, whether PCs, laptops, and we didn't even think of the mobile phone back then, would be the way people would interact with this thing called the internet. And Sky had a bit of a, a bet on the former, and we fell in line with that. So we had a, initially a big focus on, you know, the services that you would get when you press, you're watching Sky Sports, you press the red button, you could place a bet on the football. Um, and it, you know, the sort of, um, it actually did quite well in the early days. Um, and almost that made it a, hard, a more of a challenge because we started to sort of focus the business around that. And we, we launched various sort of um, content, pieces of content. So you could press the red button and you could hear a betting related commentary on the game. Um, but that, that, so that, you know, as, as the 2000s went on, it was pretty clear that these services were, the interactive TV wasn't going to be big enough. You know, betting was probably the thing that worked more than anything else, but it was clear that um, the functionality and the um, usability and the sort of privacy that you get from having a, a laptop would would win. Um, so we made some mistakes focusing on that. But the, actually the benefit of that was that we, a lot of our competitors had only ever moved from telephone betting to um, to the internet and for various sort of technical reasons that I won't get into, actually having been, having us having a website and an interactive TV service in the early days meant that we were able to move on to mobile in, as time went on much quicker and easier and better because uh, we'd already done sort of more than one platform than, than our competitors. So actually it was 
it didn't go right. It was a sort of strategic error. Um, but, you know, what we learned from that helped us move to mobile uh, much better than many of the other companies. Okay. Okay. So it's, in the end, it was a, a, a bit of a shortcut? You could say that, yeah. That would <laughs> be a generous way of describing it as a shortcut. All right. All right. Uh, a, long, a very long shortcut. Or, you know, but, <laughs> yeah, something like that, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, okay, so we're in sort of the mid to late 2000s and obviously online sports betting, casino, poker, bingo, they're all going bananas. And then Sky had their fingers in every pie. Was that a, a game? You know, sometimes people who run businesses want to focus on one product. Sometimes they go multi-product. Again, what was the sort of decision behind that? And was it right or was it wrong? Yeah, the, um, I mean, I don't think it was any great genius. And all all of the, anyone that knows the sort of industry, all sites have all the products there. And, um, you know, we found that, um, that sometimes again she gets some stick for that that um you know people just want to come on place bets on football and you're trying to uh send them to a casino you know there's some truth in that but in reality when we didn't in the early days when we didn't have a casino customers were saying i'm not going to place my sports bets with you because i actually want the ability to play both in one account so it was um you know it was a cust- it was a that sort of broadening out of the product range was an industry-wide thing for, for all the major operators and um it was customer led in part um and it was pretty clear pretty inevitable that we would we would follow that um i don't think it was any great genius there i think that the the things that we did do well that were unique um were focus on on the relationship with sky so um, i mentioned the super six free-to-play game that was a big driver and we were able to sort of integrate odds into the sky websites uh in a way that made sense to customers and again a lot of some people criticized gambling companies for that, but customers were crying out for it. Customers were saying, you know, one of the big things in the score center was in the Sky Sports score center was saying, we'd like to be able to see what the odds are and place bets directly from the score center. That's what customers were asking for. Um, and uh, so we did all that sort of integration with Sky. Well, we eventually got the sort of brand rights. And, you know, we there's always this challenge when you've got a big parent brand like Sky Sports. Um, you know, we were Skybet. We didn't want to have our advertising looking like it was promoting the football, but we wanted to make it clear to customers that we were a sister company of Sky. Um, so, you know, there's quite a lot of work in tone of voice and brand and using Sky imagery without, but whilst whilst being slightly distinguishable from Sky. So we eventually got all of that right. We got our products um, quick and easy to use for the mass market. You know, we were always more casual, small stakes uh, and, you know, sort of fun betting. Um, we got a products right for, for all of that. Um, we got all the sort of basics of internet marketing, marketing like pay-per-click and um, everything else right for that. All this we sort of learned over the 2000s by having the right people involved and you know having a sort of test and learn approach. And then uh, sort of the big thing that we got ahead of the rest of the industry on, uh, which I mentioned earlier on, was, was mobile. You know, we were helped by the fact our technology was well set up to launch on mobile, but we also you know, we, we could see it coming. We could see that, um, we could see from, you know, just being in touch with other internet businesses and seeing a bit what was going on at Sky, you could see how uh, betting would um, would translate really well to mobile. And we invested early in a good 
product um uh, you know that was you know had all the the functionality that apple could provide um and definitely we that was a sort of big jump in our performance uh, when when mobile started to grow i assume that was driven because you owned your own product your own tech rather than white label as as many of the other people did thank you for uh, mentioning that because it's a good point yes we partly because of that interactive tv shortcut or detour however you want to describe it <laughs> we had a lot uh, because 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 no none of the it's is sort of quite specific but quite a quite a lot of the other bedding companies outsource a lot of their technology um uh but no one we, we couldn't do that because no one else developed for interactive tv because there wasn't really a market for it so the fact because we'd sort of set ourselves up to develop on interactive tv we owned a lot of the tech and the front end ourselves and we defined the apis to the back end more more clearly and that meant we were able to to um to move to mobile more quickly um like you said because we own the technology we developed a lot of that in-house and that gave us a better user interface on mobile that also you know we were able to translate that to to online to to the internet um and yeah we so we, we we were well set up for it because of our interactive tv experience but we also saw it coming quite early uh, and got ahead of the game on it okay okay before we go into the next bit which is uh selling the business or divesting the business of Sky, and that's a, 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 no, a another part of the story. Um, I need to tell everybody about the Leeds Business Podcast Gentlemen's Agreement and Ladies' Agreement. So it's a two-sided agreement. My half of the agreement is every week I bring you inspiring Leeds business people totally for free. Your half of the deal, Mr. and Mrs. Listener, is has three simple steps. Number one, I want you to share this podcast with just one person just one person who you think will get value from it. Step two, I want you to post a review of the show at either Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And step three, you need to give this episode a like. That's all. Fair deal. Okay. Richard, do you think everybody should uh, give this episode a like and review it at either Apple Podcasts or Podchaser? 100%. As long as it's, as long as it's a positive review. Yeah, 100%. Right. Okay. So there you go. There's a caveat there. Richard says it has to be a positive review as well. Okay. So as I mentioned, um, so we've got a Brit Sky, got brilliant mobile products. They've got lots of, uh, brands. They've got Sky Poker, Sky Bet, Sky Casino. And then it gets sold. Talk us through that process because that must have been a completely new, new area for you. Yeah. So. We were we were doing well within uh, the business within Sky, but a sort of thing that I think people will be surprised about that don't know the industry, the, the sports betting side of the industry, is it's actually quite volatile. There's this sort of perception that the bookies always win, and of course, over time we do. But um, in all betting businesses, but particularly ours, we had a lot of people betting small stakes uh, on on accumulators across a number of football matches. So people would bet, you know, on a typical weekend, they bet five pounds or ten pounds on uh, Manchester United to win, Barcelona to win, Real Madrid to win, uh, Celtic and Rangers to win, you know, Liverpool to win, back then maybe even Arsenal to win, um, and uh, you know, and some other teams in the uh, in the Championship. And that five pound bet would once in every you know twenty weeks or something, that five pound bet would turn into you know two hundred pound or a thousand pound. Obviously, the rest of the time it would lose and we would win. Um, and people tended to bet even though there were lots of individuals, they bet on the same things. And essentially this meant that it was very volatile uh, as a business and quite stressful as a uh, person running the business. 
And Sky didn't really understand this. Uh, and they sort of freaked them out a bit because they're used to steady subscription income. And, they, you know, the, the chief exec there, uh, Jeremy Darrick at the time, understandably didn't want to be, you know, reporting to the city to say, uh, you know, we missed our, our target by 50 million or 20 million pounds because Skybet had a few bad weekends. Because, pe- you know, shareholders in Sky weren't, didn't really understand and weren't necessarily, you know, closely connected with the betting business. So there was that volatility, which was stressing everyone out and causing me to, um, you know, have to occasionally have difficult phone calls with the chief exec of, of Sky at the time. Also, the sort of little things like the financial year, um, you know, Sky's financial year ended at the um, the 31st, the 30th of June. So, um, and that would often be in a, in a world, you know, in a sort of summer tournament, that would be the time when we want to invest most in marketing. And, you know, again, we didn't want to sort of, Sky didn't want us affecting their annual results by spending a lot of marketing at the end of the year when they were trying to hit a profit number. So there's all these sort of, you know, we were up in, in Yorkshire, they were down in London. It, it became pretty, we became, if I was to summarise it, we became too big to ignore, but too small to be in the, in the scheme of Sky to be well understood. Um, and around the time, also, um, CVC, who owned us, had made an aborted attempt to buy Betfair. So they knew about the industry and they were keen to get involved. And also, what I didn't know at the time was that Sky were trying to buy, Sky UK were trying to buy Sky Italia and Sky Germany. Um, so there's sort, sort of three or four things going on. And, you know, and I was probably getting a bit frustrated by this, you know, too small to be understood and uh, and too big to be ignored, or it was the other way around. Um, and those sort of things came together in, um, in around, when was it, sort of 2013, 2014. Uh, and eventually, I won't go into sort of the, you know, left the sort of negotiations, which took a long time, but eventually, uh, Sky opted to sell the business or sell eighty percent of the business, keep twenty percent, and CVC, who are well-known private equity company, you know, most notably they'd um, had a successful investment in Formula One, bought the other eighty percent, um, and uh, the next three years uh, were actually really enjoyable and really successful. Um, we were sold for 800 million pounds we had a uh, we were making sort of 50 or so million uh in ebitda at that time uh and we uh essentially sort of quadrupled it over the next three years really but you know wow. the strategy was remained quite similar the um the relationships with sky were were, were kept uh partly because the, the contract um you know, uh, kept those that relationship with Sky going. We also personally invested a lot in keeping that strong relationship with Sky, and they still had the twenty percent, so they were, um, you know, invested in it. Um, and um, you know, the the benefit that we had though is we sort of had freedom to invest uh, more fully, particularly at the end of the financial year. Uh, CVC put quite a lot in in the business as well. You know, in terms of um, investment. Um, the whole volatility question was taken away because CVC understood uh, about about that and didn't have the constraints of being a public company. Um, but you know the team remained largely the same. We we grew our culture, we grew our independence. It was really enjoyable and and successful and a, and a great period for all of us. I think. What learnings did you take from from selling the business? That must have been the first time you'd been through a, a business sales process. What what did you? I've been through it. You're learning an enormous amount. It's highly stressful. What do you think you learned as a manager from going through a business sales process? And what would you recommend or 
or pass on advice to somebody who maybe is considering selling their business? Hmm. Um, I think the, maybe the first thing is it does take a lot of time and emotional effort. And I'm glad that we had a, a team in place that knew each other and that, you know, the, the, the sort of engine was humming at that time. Um, so we were able to, um, you know, I was able to spend myself and the CFO were able to spend quite a bit of time with the new acquirers and were confident that, uh, that, that the wheels wouldn't fall off the business. Um, so that's, I think it's really, really important. And we were able to do that. Um, we also, it's a sort of tricky time where, um, where your sort of your allegiances change a little bit, and we, you know, we were part of Sky, and Sky didn't want us to have much engagement with the acquirers because, you know, perhaps they felt that we would sort of jump over to their side. But the people acquiring us needed to trust that we were the right people, or, or you know, obviously there are situations where they they think we're not the right people. Um, but you know, in our situation. We want. I think everyone wanted. You know, they didn't want to change the management, so they had to. We had to build a relationship with trust there. So there's a sort of, and and, and there's a bit of a sort of pricing going on as well, where um, where you know Sky wanted us to sort of say everything was rosy and you know be very optimistic about numbers, uh, whereas CBC um, you know wanted to sort of know what the true picture was and if anything, be able to argue that it was not going well so they could argue for a lower price so that that sort of is all quite a tricky period i mean there's no i think i think you have to i don't know it's a little obvious and uh, it feels a bit trite saying it but there's a i think you do have to build relationships on but on with the, with your new acquirer despite the fact sky didn't want us to do that but you also have to be um straight and respectful and you know down the line with it with it and not not play too many clever games where you know there's a conceivably we could have sort of um you know started to got you know got sky to sell it for cheaper by by making the numbers at worse or downplaying our prospects but i think it's quite risky to do that because people will be a very you know sky would have been very alive to that um possibility and i think if you if people start not trusting you on either side then things can collapse pretty quickly so um I'll, you know i'd say straight bat build the team so it the machine is running efficiently and play with a straight bat to all people throughout that process and don't play any clever games would be the two things I learned on that. And then pretty soon after, was it three, four, five years later, you went through another acquisition slash merger. Was was that very different? Yes, it was very different personally and emotionally because um, I wanted the business to be sold to private equity, not, you know, the, we look, I made good money out of it. And we and many people did, we, we sort of distributed the shares very broadly. So, but you know, coming out of sky, it wasn't that I thought we'd make a load of money out of it. It was more that I felt it was what the business needed. When we were acquired by the stars group, um, I actually didn't, I didn't, it's not the outcome I wanted. Um, I would rather have kept our independence by uh, listing. Um, we would sort of well down an IPO path. And that was my preferred route. And even so you'd if actually, you'd actually, uh, we were going to be a... Sorry, I was going to say you actually got a fair way down the line to IPO before Stars bought you. Yes. Um, we went, we were two weeks away from IPOing. We'd have everything in place. 
And this is sort of classic private equity tactic. Of, they certainly don't want to be in a position where there's only one buyer for something they're trying to sell. So essentially, we um, we were down a sort of uh, public route, uh, but it was no huge surprise that uh, a strategic buyer came in. Um, but they weren't really the strategic buyer that I wanted. Um, they were a sort of they had a lot of grey market uh, business back then. They were you know, active in. We, we were always very highly regulated, very um, you know, compliance oriented. We became in the latter years very focused on sort of safer gambling and responsible gambling. The people that bought us were very international, grey, you know, had a grey market uh, background, had some sort of dubious things in their um, in their in their recent past, and you know, I didn't. I, I won't go into too many of the sort of personalities and people involved, uh, and there's always a sort of ego in, involvement as well. You know, you go from running it to being to being uh, you know somewhere down the hierarchy a bit. I didn't necessarily want that, um, so I. I was I tried to discourage the sale from happening, um, but it was pretty clear. I think CVC wanted the sale to happen, but um, because you know they get a, got a very good return and most of that was in cash, uh, I thought that the I thought that Sky wouldn't want the business to and their brand to go to this um, uh, to the Stars Group, but uh, it turned that you know Sky were actually keen for the sale to happen as well. So I sort of lost that battle, and. It was that was emotionally difficult because I felt my baby was going to a home that wasn't a suitable home, um, and that was difficult. And I, and it, you know, but eventually I had to get on board with it. And it was, when it was when it was clear that I wasn't able to stop it, I had a choice of either you know digging in, and I probably would have been kicked out at that point, or or supporting the transition to happen as best way I could. And that was the, the route I went down. Um, and you know, it turned it's turned out. Um, sort of the end the end of it was so stars owned the business for a year or something and then you know their share price went down quite a lot partly because i think that they the city realized that they weren't very good owners and then um flat what's flutter called flutter now that was called paddy power betfair then i bought the whole stars group that included skybet and i think now it is in a good home and now you know flutter which um actually uh you know maybe this sort of comes back to the early part of the story so i'd originally joined flutter in a startup in east london that merged with betfair well that that business was was renamed the, the flutter name was sort of uh warehoused and the company was called betfair and then when betfair bought paddy power then the combined entity bought the stars group and included skybet they had this they had to think what do we call the whole group rather than it was called paddy power betfair they could call it paddy power betfair stars skybet Obviously, that would have been a stupid idea, and they looking for a sort of generic name to call it, and they realised they had this Flutter thing, Flutter brand name and URL from twenty years ago, and they called the group Flutter, and I, and I then joined the board of the um, the combined group, having left for a sort of year uh, in the in the meantime, um, and so I think it's a sort of reasonably reasonably happy ending. Fantastic! That's a perfect perfect circle, isn't it? Perfect circle. Yeah, in some in some ways, yeah, yeah, it's that's good. It's good, you know. Not many people know this actually, but uh, it's, it was a, a good personal situation. And, and now yeah. the, um, you know, the look. Not everything is not everything's perfect. You, you know, it's it's now a. It's not, you know, I'm still very uh, sort of proud of what Skybet was. Now it's it's sort of a part of a bigger company, and inevitably you don't have quite the same entrepreneurialism and sort of identity that you have as a sort of uh, independent company, but uh, you know, the whole group is doing really well. And now the U S has opened up and Flutter owns FanDuel that are leaders in the U S 
There's leaders in Australia, there are leaders in Italy, leaders in lots of the major markets. And, you know, it's a proper proper company that takes a lot of the, the safer gambling side of things very seriously and um, is focused on regulated markets and is, is a grown-up business. Um, so yeah. it's a good home for um, for what was Skybet. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So through that whole journey we've been through, you know, what would you say you've learned that are the key areas business owners need to be successful or good at to be successful? I mean, there are lots of different skills and different stages. And I do think that, um, you know, in the, oh, now I'm doing quite a bit of angel investing. And I think you do need different skills and different um, mentalities at different stages along that, that, that journey. You know, in the early days, when you're, you know, 20 person company, you, you, you do need to be in the detail, you do need to have a vision for what you're doing for your customers. And you need you actually, as an individual need to need to force that to be the case and be involved in the marketing and being involved in the product. But then I think, you know, I think the, the one of the big skills as a business grows is to learn when to move away from that, and when to focus on building a team and eventually building a culture um, you know where where you're sort of where you're not in every decision and you actually you've got people that do a better job at every single part of that business than you ever would um so it's about i think maybe the one big lesson is to you know along that journey to understand where you are and believe be flexible and change as you go um so i definitely i went from in the early days being de- too detail oriented and i was definitely holding on to that for too long to then building a good team and then to working with and then you know, there's a point at which we sort of had the analogy from move from being a, a player, like a you know, your football analogy, from being a player on the pitch to being a sort of player manager where you do a bit of both, to being a manager where you are actually, um, you know, you're focused on putting your team in the right positions and making sure they pass the ball to each other. And then there's a sort of step after that where you're you're actually more of a sort of figurehead for for the company, and actually you're more the role is more. Um, your director of football outward focused um yes yeah, something like that yeah uh, and, and you know you're you're actually you actually sort of represent the culture in a different way and you're you're almost like on show all the time you know you're almost like you know how you walk into the lift or you know when you get we had we sort of divided the company as we went we started with you know we got to 150 people and then we subdivided into two and then we further subdivided um and I think there's a sort of thing called the Dunbar number. I think it's, it might even, it's in one of those books. Might not be good to great. Where so 100, 150 people, you can know everyone, but you get to sort of above that. And we eventually got to around 2,000. Um, you can't know everyone, but you're you're almost like you're then the sort of you're representing the culture and almost like how you walk into a room or whether you wash your cups of tea up afterwards or whether you, you know whether you um you know what you say in a sort of company you know, annual meeting or what emails you send to the company. You almost become like a sort of it's almost a politician type um yeah. role um so yeah on that sort of 20-year journey as we grew from you know 80 people to 2000 your role has to change along that and i think being alive to where you are on that and being willing to change and being willing to sort of get guidance from people around you as to where you are and where you should be i think is almost my biggest lesson along that along yeah. the whole journey yeah i mean people often say what what got you here won't get you there and it, i think that's sort of what you're talking about. Yeah. You mentioned a word there two or three times, the word culture. And um, 
Every week on the Leeds Business Podcast, we do a how-to session. And I know you're going to do us a quick five minutes, a how-to on how to build company culture. So take it away. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, this might not be very slick, but, it's, you know, essentially, I, th I think the thing that the most important thing we did was build a great culture. And I think most people that worked at Skybet in, you know, in the sort of 20, from around the sort of 2012 to 2018 would say that was a, we had a great culture. And um, thinking back to how we did that, I think the first thing to do is to realize that you can't do that. You can't change a culture yourself. Um, I think, um, you know, we needed to change some of the people, bring some new people in and bring allies in that share that mentality. So I mean, the, the first, and this is in good to great, you know, get the right people on the bus, first of all. And I, I 100% think that's right. Um, then I think it's, a, it's a, you know, we had to, there's quite a few sort of, um, in any organization, there's a few sort of sacred cows almost that, um, that or, or sort of physical symbols that can represent a culture. And you can, by changing those, you can, you can really change a culture. So we, um, you know, it used to be, we had a sort of goldfish bowl where all the traders would face one way towards these big TV screens and, uh, you know, moving offices and getting everyone away from, uh, that situation where they could, where they could almost, you know, the traders could, were never sort of bothered by the rest of the business was a big cultural statement and forcing them to sort of mix with the rest of the business and, you know, sit, sit on, on in open plan offices with everyone else was a big cultural statement, but there are probably 10 or so other, you know, we used to have named car parking spaces for some of the senior team, you know, getting rid of that was, was important. Um, you know, structuring the office where we had a sort of big central area where um, people would, would meet and talk and we would do company town halls. That was a sort of big statement. And, but there, there's dozens of these things that we, we did. So, you know, picking those sort of um, symbols uh, that can be physical to sort of emphasize the change in culture is part of it. Uh, you know, going through all the sort of agreeing a set of company values uh, together, working out together what's up with your top team, what the um, what the uh, the culture you want um, is uh, is a big part of it. You know, have re rewarding people who um, emphasize the culture is a big part of it. Moving people on, despite the fact they might be strong performers who don't um, reflect the culture you want, is a, is a big part of it. So, I think that you know there are there are many many things that we did along the way, and some of these are in uh, uh, good to great. But I think being a I think you, to to build a great culture. You have to be really conscious that you're doing it and not, it doesn't happen accidentally. It, you know, it was almost our top priority to work on what culture we want, how we're going to change it, what signifies it, what doesn't signify it, uh, and get the right people to do that and manage it very closely towards where you want to be over, you know, probably takes you five years, um, was I think how, how we did it. And I, and I think that is, um, that's in my experience, the way to do it. Okay. So, so building culture is something you proactively have to say, this is what we want the culture to look like. Actually do stuff that says that, but also keep quite on top of it as well. And say, well, that's not that's not within culture or, yes. or people aren't within culture off the go. So it's the classic uh, brilliant jerk, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know what you mean by that. <laughs> not sure that. Yeah, you mean getting rid of the brilliant jerks rather than... Yeah. Um, yes, the, not, uh, not keeping them, no, yeah. obviously. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Be consciously 
I think the way to build a culture, get the right people, pick some symbols to focus on, consciously manage it, reward people who stick to the culture, move people on who don't stick to the culture, and don't you know don't underestimate the time and effort involved in it, um, and constantly look for for feedback on it, um, and get everyone bought into the direction you're going going in. And I think you know having having good for me, I, I had a really good top team that we we spent a lot of time. Uh, getting to know each other and building trust in that top team, and that there, there wasn't, there are not many, there weren't many politics, much politics after that because people knew that the top team were tight, um, and you know we'd have a lot of we'd disagree on things and have um, strong conversations, but underlying it all, we were all going the same direction and trusted each other, and I think that that filtered down the organisation, which was another thing that helped us with that strong culture. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm conscious we're running quite long on time, but I want to just want to touch on your angel investment activity. Um, you've got what eight, nine, ten angel investments, I think it is on your on your LinkedIn. I looked at. What would you recommend to a startup company that's looking for angel investment? You know, what should they be doing? What they should be looking for? How do they best present themselves to somebody like you or I that, that invests in startups? Hmm. It's funny. The ones I've ended up investing in have been often quite sort of, um, yeah, a bit random to be true, truthful. Things, things I've uh, people I've met or um, or ideas that I've sort of conned on to. I think that the, I think if you can do it, I think building informal connections with potential angel investors is a good way to do it. You know, just reaching out for advice or uh or getting to know through a sort of trusted third party the the, the ones i've the ones that i've i mean the, the ones that are going the best um certainly at, that are a certain size are um Bustnut box and seat unique which i'm you know i've invested more in both and i'm chair of both of them they came about through friends of friends um and i think with both of them i got to, a very strong feeling about the people involved quite early on. And that was why I invested. So I think there's a sort of analogy there. If, you know, if you can, it's, if, if you can get angel investors who, you know, outside of a sort of formal pitch process and who you can communicate your passion, your values, your product market fit, uh, outside of a formal process, I think you've got a much better chance. Okay. So, so you, are you saying you you almost like your first port of call is is the person rather than the product or the market yes. or whatever it is? Okay. Yeah, I'm saying it's sort of it's sort of it's sort of all three really. But if the the most important thing of them is is the person because you know you know everyone knows that um, a startup might have to pivot a few times along the way. Um, I think the the most important thing for me invest is, as an investor is you invest in the people running it and, and that you, you sort of you sort of have to have a sense that it's a, got a chance of success but the person is what comes first and so the more you can sort of you know you if you're an, if you're looking for investment the more you can build a personal connection with your potential investors the better chance you've got i mean you know that is a the, the danger in that from a sort of societal maybe a sort of lead city point of view is you know, that means that people that perhaps come from different backgrounds and don't have those networks will struggle to get investment. Um, and I think that, you know, that's something we need to think about 
as a city and as a society. But if I, you know, if I'm in a, if I'm looking for investment, the first the, my best chance is if I get to know angel investors outside of a formal pitch process. Okay. Okay. Good. Good advice. Good advice. And then finally, this is the Leeds Business Podcast, and we invite every guest to give a plug to any lead startup business. So take it away. I suspect it's going to be one of your investments. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to pick on uh, Ride. So it's uh, R-Y-D-E. Um, so, it, you know, maybe it's just sort of reinforcing some of the points I made earlier. So um, it's, a, it's a spin studio, a sort of indoor cycling studio, and we also do um, you know other classes as well, but focused on indoor cycling, very lively, energetic, uh, almost like a you know, nightclub type vibe, um, uh, based in Leeds City Centre, but we're rolling out in Manchester as well. Uh, but I got to know the business, sort of two, you know, like many of my investments, two things came together at once. So uh, Kyle, who founded the business, um, used to run the gym next to Skybet. So I knew him personally. I knew he had some relevant experience, had, you know, made some mistakes and learned from them. But I knew he was determined and could, could build a a business and build a team. Um, I also knew that he'd he'd had a sort of small spin studio within the gym that was next to Skybet that had done well. But over that over the sort of you know just before the pandemic, I was traveling down a lot to London, and I can't run because my knees are, are, are not great. I used to look for exercise to do in the middle of London. I used to sort of sign up to these spin classes um, that were all very. I was you know they were much. I was a bit of fish out of water. They're much sort of trendier than I was, but um, but I could get some exercise there. But I was, you know, I was noticing that they would sell out. They would go on sale, and then literally they would sell out within. They go on sale a week before the class, and they would sell out in the day. Um, and these were like forty bike studios, were charging twenty twenty five quid uh, a um, a bike. They were doing ten classes an hour. Uh, 10, sorry, ten classes a day. You just do the math. It's an incredible business. Um, and so the combination of Known Kyle, seen the business opportunity, I backed uh, Kyle to do it. Then, of course, we went straight into a pandemic, so we had to shut down. We, we, we couldn't open, um, but eventually got going in in um, in Leeds, and people love it. Some of the, you know, I think part of the thing about the pandemic, people have missed uh, group exercise, missed miss getting to know communities of people. There's much more sort of health and fitness orientation amongst the younger people today than there was when I was that age. Um, and some of the sort of... Um, the reviews, I guess, and the emails he gets about how much people enjoy the class and how much they get out of it and how it's important for their mental health is quite moving. Um, and it's built a great community there, going really well. A lot of sort of people who are professional, a lot of, you know, people like listen to this uh, podcast, I'd imagine, part of the Leeds business community are going there, um, going really well. And I'm sure that we'll do well in Manchester uh, as well. And then, uh, then after Manchester, I would say the rest of the world, but it's probably, you know, in places like London, it's quite competitive, but there are many places that are not well served by this. So we'll probably look for the underserved areas of the country and the world rather than taking on in the big cities. Okay, fantastic. Um, There will be links to everything to do with Ride will be in the show notes below. Um, And anything else you want to add, Richard? Anything we haven't covered? I know we, we talked for a long time. Anything you'd like to say? The only last thing to say is I know this is a Leeds business podcast, and I, I do think Leeds is a great place to grow a business. Uh, it's sort of a city that you can get your arms around. There's a great tech, uh, there's a great load of tech talent there in the city. 
uh, good transport links to London. You can live in it. You can live in a great place with the outdoors really close. Yes, we could probably do with um, some better transport links across the north and maybe in the city itself, uh, which I know is something that um, people like uh, Tracy Braben uh, are focused on. Um, but overall, I think Leeds is a fantastic city and it was a real privilege to grow a business in Leeds and to carry on being involved in the area. That's great. And on that note, thank you very much, Richard. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you found it both interesting and of use. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please subscribe to the show. Go on, do it now. Do it now before you go off and do something else. Much appreciated. Oh, and don't forget our gentleman's agreement. See you next week.